0: Very good morning to each and every one of you, and last week uh, we looked through 1 Chronicles chapter 13, and today I thought we'll go to the next chapter, uh, chapter 14, so if you have your Bibles with you, we'll turn to 1 Chronicles chapter 14, and I'll ask Dean please to read verses... uh, 1 to 3, and then uh, from verse 8 to the end of the chapter, please.
1: First Chronicles chapter 14, beginning at verse 1. Now Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David in timber of cedars with masons and carpenters to build him a house. And David perceived that the Lord had confirmed him king over Israel. For his kingdom was lifted up on high because of his people, Israel. And David took more wives at Jerusalem, and David begot more sons and daughters. And when the Philistines heard that David was anointed king over all Israel, all the Philistines went up to seek David. And David heard of it and went out against them. And the Philistines came and spread themselves in the valley of Rephaim, And David inquired of God, saying, Shall I go up against the Philistines, and wilt thou deliver them into mine hand? And the Lord said unto him, Go up, for I will deliver them into thine hand. And when they had left their gods there, David gave a commandment, and they were burned with fire. And the Philistines yet again spread themselves abroad in the valley. Therefore David inquired again of the Lord of God. And God said unto him, Go not up after them, turn away after them, and come upon them over against the mulberry trees. And it shall be when thou shalt hear a sound of going in the tops of the mulberry trees, then thou shalt go down out to battle, for God has gone forth before thee to smite the host of the Philistines. David therefore did as God commanded him, and they smote the host of the Philistines from Gibeon even to Gezer. And the fame of David went out into all lands, and the Lord brought the fear of him upon all the nations. May God bless the reading of His word.
0: Thank you, Dean. Like I normally do, I won't explain the story to you, but what I will do is I will go through the chapter and then we'll pick out uh, some lessons here and there from within this chapter. Now, the first seven verses... It deals with domestic issues, David's family, and also matters relating to defense. Uh, and then the story of the first attack, that is against, uh, from the Philistines, is verses 8 to 12. And then the verses 13 to 17 tells us how the Philistines regroup and make a fresh attack. So right there in verse 1, we see that David had an ally, and his name was Hiram, king of Tyre. Now, Tyre was bordering the northern border of Israel, and as king of a very minor state, Hiram, he lacked military power, but he had other things that made him an invaluable supporter to David. Earlier. In another portion of scripture in 1 Kings, it tells us that Hiram was ever a lover of David. He was a very, very close friend of David. And when we look at this, we can see how God was working. Because you see, in Tyre, that part of Lebanon, the best cedar trees would grow. And these are the best trees that grow in the, all of the Middle East, and just like your oak trees or other good quality trees that you have here. And God promoted a friendship with king of Tyre a generation ahead of time so that when David came to the throne and he decided to build the temple, well, there was a supply of the wood needed. So you see how God works... Uh, Way beyond what our mind can even think about. A generation ahead of time, he promoted this friendship between David and the king of Tyre. All because of the wood that was needed for the temple. So, remember this lesson. God is always a step in front. And he is still a step in front today. Next, I want you to notice this. The timber that Hiram sent to David uh, to build him a house there in chapter 14, verse 1, was cedar. So David's home was built with the very best material. David said in chapter 17, I dwell in a house of cedar. His palace was built by the very best wood. Now... Here's the lesson for us. The great sovereign that we worship, God, he demands the very best from us. May we also, whatever we offer to God, may we also not offer anything that is cheap or inferior. Let us always remember that whatever we offer to God, may it be the very best. Then I want you to notice that We notice in verse 1, as well as materials, Hiram sent to David masons and carpenters. Now, the Zidianites were skilled carpenters uh, and craftsmen, we are told in 1 Kings, and their know-how was used to build this house for David. Now, these men were qualified for the job that they did. And there is a lesson for us here in church life. You see, materials and men have been provided by God to build this house for him. And God has done it this way. He has gifted every one of you with different talents and different gifts. Now, uh, spiritually speaking, the carpenter should always be doing what the carpenter should do, whatever he's been gifted. And the mason should do what he's been gifted, masonry. Every man had received a gift and let him use that same gift for God's glory. Now we see in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10, it tells us this, As every man hath received the gift, Even so, minister the same one to another. I want you to notice that word, same. Whatever gift God has blessed you with, you use that same gift. Don't intrude on somebody else's gift and go into their area of service and try to serve in another person's sphere. Whatever you have been gifted with, that same gift, use it in God's service. So going back to our text, the king sent masons and carpenters to build him a house and the masons did the masons job, the carpenters did the carpenters job. Let us never encroach on anyone else's sphere of activity but exercise the gift that God has given us. Then let's move to verse 2. Here it tells us that Hiram's initiative provided David with circumstantial evidence of his enthronement by God. You see, it says here, David perceived that the Lord had confirmed him king. You see, sometimes God uses developing circumstances to give his people assurance that they are uh, Being carried along by his will. And on this occasion, David realized that God had made him king and he gave him that confirmation using Hiram. Now, let me give you an example of this. Acts chapter 16 and verse 10. I want you to notice that David had the same kind of confidence as the missionary group that went into Macedonia. They were assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel they had that confidence that they were in the will of God so my brother my sister this is something for each of us to seek after that quiet satisfaction that we are in the center of God's will live the rest of your time knowing that you are in the will of God Then, going back to verse 2 again, I want you to notice that we are given an insight in this verse why David was made king of Israel. Why was David made king of Israel? It says, because of his people. God made David king because he was concerned about the welfare of his people. You see, uh, during Saul's uh, reign, the kingdom was greatly diminished. And God knew that when David came on the throne, he will look after the kingdom, he will look after the people, and so he made David king. Here's the lesson for us today. God wants the very best for his people. Always, he's thinking of the good of his people. And with that in view, you see, he made David king. God still wants the best for his people today. And he appoints leaders in the church and so on because he wants to take care of you. Live in that assurance that whoever God has appointed as your guardians, as your shepherds, the reason is because God wants the best for you. Then we move on to verse 3. And sometimes I ask you a question, and here's my question for today. If you know the answer to this question, raise your hands up. When a king of Israel was appointed, there are three things that the king, any king was forbidden from multiplying. Who can tell me what are the three things that a king of Israel was forbidden from multiplying? One of the things is, yes, horses, very good. A king of Israel was forbidden from multiplying horses. Who can give me the other two? One of them is in the verse here. Wives, correct. A king of Israel was forbidden by God from multiplying wives. And thirdly, anybody? Okay, I'll show it to you. Deuteronomy chapter 17 and Verse 16. And uh, are, they're talking about, and in the previous verse you'll see it's talking about a newly installed king, and he shall not multiply horses to himself. Uh, and then we'll go on to uh, verse 17, please. Neither shall he multiply wives to himself, and he shall not multiply silver or gold. So, If we go back to our original text, it tells us in verse 3 that David took more wives. Now, as you know, it was the practice of God that there should be one man and one woman. There was never anywhere in the Bible do we find that a man is allowed to have more than one wife. But David broke that rule here he did however he did make sure that he obeyed the other two he never multiplied horses and he didn't multiply gold and silver because we read in this same book that he gave his gold and silver towards the building of the temple you'll see uh, you can look at uh, 1 chronicles chapter 18 and verse 4 whenever they won a battle and they captured horses What they did was they cut the tendons in the horse's leg so that they could not be multiplied and they could not be used. So here's the lesson. When it comes to obedience, God will never be satisfied if you obey two out of three. God wants your complete obedience. That is the kind of God that we worship. Deuteronomy chapter 5 and verse 29 tells us this. Oh, that there was such a heart in them that they would fear me and keep all my commandments. Two out of three? No. All my commandments, always, that it might be well with them and with their children forever. So my brother, my sister, remember this. You have the Bible in in your home. You know what the commandments of God are. Some commandments are not optional. God wants you to follow all the commandments always. Remember that lesson. Then we move on to, uh, we'll skip verses 4 to 7 because it's just giving us the details of David's family, Uh, so we'll move on to verse eight. And here in verse eight, I want you to notice that the Philistines having dealt with Saul, now they intended to crush David's new regime. You see, the plan was to strike early in the early stages of King David's administration. The Philistines knew that he was a novice king. And you do not give a novice chance to settle in. Immediately you must crush them, is what they thought. And so you notice there that they didn't just send a small group of attackers to attack David. It says the word all. Do you see that? All the Philistines. Not a brigade or two here and there. It was the entire Philistine army went against David, crush him as soon as he becomes king. They were taking no chances. Now, one or two practical issues or lessons that I would like to point out. When Christ is given his rightful place in the heart of the nation or in the heart of the people, This will not go unnoticed. When you put God first in your life, people will notice that. And the enemy is sure to hear and he will definitely want to attack you. Do you see the word heard? When the Philistines heard, when you put God first in your life and he's enthroned and given a special place, the enemy will hear and immediately you will come under attack. Let me give you an example. Matthew chapter 16 and uh, verse 13 onwards. If you have this in your Bible, uh, if you can turn to it, this would be useful. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 13, verse 16. Matthew 16 and verse 16. And here we see... Uh, Simon Peter uh, is answering a question where the Lord asked him whom say that I am and Peter says Thou art the Christ the son of the living God and verse 17 Jesus answered and said unto him blessed art thou Simon Bajona. So now you see Peter Putting the Lord first and saying thou art the Christ the son of God, but then I want you to notice as soon as Peter gave the Lord the first place in his heart, what happened to him? Within six verses, Satan attacks him. Verse twenty-two. The Lord was going to wanting to go to Jerusalem, and uh, he was foretelling future events, how he would die. And then Peter says, Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, "Be it far from thee, Lord." He didn't want the Lord to go through this. And verse 23, And the Lord turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. You see that? A few verses earlier, God said, bless, the Lord said, Blessed art thou, Simon Bar Jonah. Immediately, as soon as, he gave praise to God and God first place in his life. And what happened? Satan then put an evil thought in Peter's mind. He tried to take the Lord Jesus away from his task. And then the Lord says, Get thee behind me, Satan. Immediately, Peter was being used as Satan's agent. So remember this lesson. When you put God first in your life, when he's enthroned in the central part of your life or in the nation of Israel, immediately the evil one will attack. That is why the Philistines attacked David as soon as he became king. Then I want you to notice next that the enemy is an unprincipled person. He will take advantage of a new situation. He will take advantage of inexperience. You see, no sooner than the Lord Jesus had left Nazareth to embark on a new sphere of ministry that There was temptation in the wilderness for the Lord Jesus. And then, no sooner that he stepped out of a boat and he went into a new area to speak to new people, the Lord was attacked. Take a look at Mark chapter 5 and verse 2. Mark chapter 5 and verse 2. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately... Now, I want you to notice the word immediately. The Lord Jesus embarking on a new venture, immediately Satan attacked him. Or look at Mark chapter 4, verse 15. Again, uh, look at the word no sooner had the gospel seed been sown, Satan cometh immediately. And taketh away the word from their heart. Even a new believer who is, you go and do the hard work and you preach the gospel to them. Notice the word immediately. Satan doesn't allow a novice to settle in. He always instantly attacks. So here is the lesson I want you to remember this. Let us be aware of the devil's plans on new converts, new assemblies, new ventures, new elders or whatever. While people are trying to find their feet, Satan, he wants to knock them off their feet. Remember that he attempts to take advantage of the inexperience or the novices. Then I want to uh, move on again and we go back to verse 8 in our text. And I want you to notice in verse 8, it tells out that David went out against them. David went out against them. Now, when he was a youth, we read that he hasted and ran to the army of the Philistines. And I'm sure you all know when David did that. It was on the occasion that he went to meet Goliath. And here also, as soon as David heard that they were going to attack him, notice he went out against them. Now, David had made a small mistake here. Look at verse 10. After David goes out, in verse 10, he it says here, David inquired of God. Do you see that? Verse 8, he went out first, and then afterwards, verse 10, he inquired from God. You see, normally, you should inquire of God first, and then you should go out. But... David reversed it. Now, here's the lesson. We all make that same mistake very often, don't we? We act first, and then we think later. Or we seek God's blessings afterwards. So, remember this. Even if you have, here's the lesson, even if you have embarked on some course of action without seeking the mind of God, it's never too late. You can always pause... Seek God's blessings and then continue. That's what David did here. He went out. Suddenly something struck him in his mind. I haven't inquired of God. So he stopped. He inquired of God. And when he got an affirmative answer, then he moved on again. Remember that whenever you are tempted to move out and you have forgotten to ask God, it's never too late to stop and ask him. And so uh, David inquired of God and so it is to David's credit that we see many times in his life that he inquired of God. Now there are some people who uh, didn't inquire of God and very often things would go wrong, but David was a man who always inquired of God and let us also be like him. Then I want you to notice that He was given the green light in verse 10. The Lord said unto him, Go, I will deliver them into thy hands. Here's the lesson. It's always best to wait for an answer from God before we move forward in any venture. Wait for an answer. Be patient. Sometimes we get an idea and we think this is a great idea. We trust our instinct. We trust our judgment. And we want to move forward. But it's much better if you wait for an answer first. Uh, Here's an example. Luke chapter 22 and verse 49. Here, the Lord Jesus was in the garden. And uh, this arresting party is coming to arrest the Lord. And the disciples asked the Lord a question. Lord, shall we smite them with the sword? You see the question there? What was the answer that the Lord gave? The next verse, please, verse 50. They did not wait for the answer. That's the problem. Immediately, Peter took his sword and he cut off the right ear. He did not, they asked the question, you saw the question mark, but they didn't wait for the answer from God. And so they made the wrong move. The next verse, please, 51. And so because it was the wrong move, the Lord Jesus fixed it. You see? He touched his ear and he healed him because he would have never allowed. If they had waited for the answer, he would have said, no, don't take the sword. So always wait for the answer because you cannot trust your own judgment or your own thoughts. Then I want you to notice next Uh, David was in verse 11. David did exactly as God had said and he won a great battle against the Philistines that day. And I want you to notice the words, how David attributed the triumph to God. He says, God hath broken in upon mine enemies by my hand. Now, it was... David's hand that smote the enemies, he was the human instrument. But here's the lesson. It was the work of God. You see, David said, God hath. David was the one with his men who did the physical work, but it was God that had engineered this whole thing. Now, there is a reason why we know in the Bible that God whittled down the army of Gideon Less and less and less and less men. And the reason is so that they would not claim that it was their greatness that won the battle, Gideon's army. You see, so God wanted to get the glory. And let us also make sure that when we do something for God and God prospers us or God blesses us, that we give him all the glory. We say God did it. In Psalm 115, verse 1, we can adopt the attitude of the psalmist, where he says, Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory. Let us always be uh, uh, giving God's name the glory. Then next, I want you to notice this. In verse 12, we are told that the Philistines had very evidently left their idols on the battlefield. And David's wisdom is very evident here because he gives a commandment that these idols should be burned with fire. Why was this? Why was it that David gave this commandment which was very appropriate? You see, human nature is very fickle. We are perverse people. And the idols of the de- defeated four could easily become a potential spiritual hazard. You see, Amaziah, the king of Judah, this is what he did. 2 Chronicles, chapter 25, and verse 14. When he conquered the forces of Seir... When King Amaziah won the battle. This is what the scripture says that he did. He brought the gods of the children of Seir, set them up to be his gods, and he bowed down himself before them. You see, the whole thing um, is so illogical here. These gods could not uh, prevent the loss of the battle for their masters. They were impotent. They couldn't help them. And here, Amaziah becomes one of their devotees. You see how fickle the human mind is? We are capable of doing very, very silly things. And so David wanted to make sure that that error was, this same error was not followed. So understanding the dangers, David dealt with the idols decisively. He made sure that they were burnt. Let me give you an example of somebody else that did this in Scripture. Moses, Exodus chapter 35 and verse 20. What did he do with the uh, golden calf? It says he ground it to powder. And then what did Joash do to Baal? 2 Kings chapter 11 and verse 18. Scripture tells us that he broke Baal to pieces. And do you notice the word? Thoroughly. He broke it in pieces, thoroughly. So, here's the lesson. The modern day equivalent, of course we don't have Baal and these gods, but we are living in the modern day. Well, here's the lesson for us. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 21. In the New Testament it says, little children... Keep yourselves from idols. Now, we don't have the same idols like in the time of David, but what we do have is various other types of idols. What is an idol? An idol is something that takes away your time that you should be spending more constructively with God and the things of God. And so, if there is an idol that's giving you trouble, reducing the time that you allocate to it, is that sufficient? No. Or perhaps trimming the budget that you spend to your idol? No. That's not adequate. You need to deal decisively with the idol. King David burnt the idols. Moses, he ground it to powder. King Joash, he broke it into pieces thoroughly. Whatever is the idol in your life, I appeal to you. Take decisive action and make sure that you put away the idol and give first place in your life to God. Okay. uh, I see time's going very quickly so we'll move on to uh, verse 13. And this is the second attack. The Philistines yet again decided to attack David even though they had been thoroughly defeated. Now, Here's the lesson from this verse. The enemies of God's people are always very persistent, just like Satan himself. Now, Scripture records that even the Lord Jesus suffered from a persistent enemy. For example, Luke chapter 4 and verse 13. Remember the temptation in the wilderness? Well, in Luke 4 and verse 13, it tells us that he attacked the Lord and then he departed from him for a season. The next season, he would have been back. And the same way, the Philistines, they lost, but they came back again to attack David. Remember this, that Satan will always attack you again and again. As soon as you win one victory, don't think, I can relax. I can put my feet up. I can take it easy. No. Always be on your guard because he will come again and again and again. Let me give you another example. John chapter 9 and verse 15. And here we notice how the Pharisees were unrelenting in their harassment of the man who was born blind. I want you to notice this one word. Again. And then we move on to verse 17 of the same chapter, please. John 9, verse 17. And they said unto the blind man, again, this is the Pharisees. And then verse 24. Then again, they said unto the man. And then verse 26. And then, do you see there the word again? Again and again and again, the Pharisees attacked this man who was born blind. The evil one will never give up on you. He will attack again and again and again. Always be on your guard. Then, I want you to notice in verse 14, it tells us that David inquired of God. So here we are, the Philistines are attacking The second time in the same place. Shouldn't he do the same thing? Go out again and fight them the same way God had asked them? Asked him to do the first time? No. You see, he inquired of the Lord again. You see, previous success doesn't mean that it would be the mind of God to do the same thing in exactly the same way The next time around, we must always make sure that we inquire of God again. It's best to inquire of God again. We don't have time, so I won't give you an example. And then we'll move on to the final two verses, uh, verse 16. David, therefore, did as God had commanded. Now, this statement is a brief and simple statement. But it's a very telling statement. You see, it is what God wants every one of us to do. And if you don't remember anything else, I would like you to remember this this morning as you leave here and go home. You see, the Lord Jesus wants obedience from us. David therefore did as God has commanded. If you are able to do as God has commandment, commanded, he will bring great blessing and joy to your life. There is an example given in John chapter 2 of the wedding of Cana. The Lord Jesus said to uh, um, uh, the Lord Jesus said in John chapter 2 that he instructed the servants fill the water pot with water. And it tells us there in scripture that their obedient was swift unqualified, they wholeheartedly did it because it says, they filled the water pots up to the brim. You see, the Lord said, fill the water pots. But if you look at that passage, it says, they filled it up to the brim. So you see, when God gives you a commandment, go overboard if you can to fulfill what he's asking you to do. And obedience is a feature of Every believer, if you are a Christian, if you love God, well, then you would obey him. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 3, this is what it says. Hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. If you say that you are a Christian, well, keep his commandments. Keep his commandments. So, what happened to David? You see, David, he obeyed God, and it brought him victory if you obey God if you follow God's word in your life he'll bring you victory you'll have a victorious Christian life now I know that people will say "But how can I follow all of God's words and it's so difficult but believe me it's possible otherwise God will not give us his words in the Bible everything is possible discipline self-control If we practice these things, we can obey God and then obedience will bring us victory. And then uh, for our final lesson, verse 17, I want you to notice this. The fame of David went out into all the land. You see, when the Philistines heard of him, it provoked them to attack. When the nations heard about him, it struck terror in their hearts, so they wanted to attack. And this fear was divinely brought about by God. Now, during the days of Saul, nobody really feared the Israelites, because as a nation, they were demoralized, they were defeated. But now, under David, they were in the ascendancy, and everybody was fearful of them why was everybody all the nations afraid of david why was all the nations afraid of david well last week in the chapter that we studied in chapter 13 and verse 12 it says david was afraid of god david was afraid of god and now god made everybody fear of david you see that If you fear God, if you respect God in your life, He will bring great victory to you. He will make all your enemies fearful of you. He will make all your ways prosper. He will guide you in the right path. But you have to have that fear of God. That fear of God that not everybody has. Because if you are to go and do things that are wrong, It means that you have no fear of God. But if you have fear of God, you will do the things that please him. You will be obedient in your life to him. And then God will bring victory, just like he brought obedience, brought victory for David. Obedience brought fear of God, brought fear from the other nations. They all feared David from that time on. And with that, we'll close in prayer. And perhaps if there's another opportunity, then I'll continue with more lessons from the life of David. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank Thee that Scripture is given to us so that we can learn, our Father, and apply in our lives. We thank Thee, our Father, for great men and women of God who have led lives that are pleasing to Thee, and that we can learn from their lives and apply it to our hearts. We pray, our Father, that there would be a portion for each and every one here, both speaker and hearer alike, that we would leave from here wanting to be more devoted to Thee, wanting to follow Thee and apply Thy words in our lives. So our Father, part us now all with Thy blessings. We ask this all in the precious and worthy name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.
1: Amen.